Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths, because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly, here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. Oh my goodness. Hello. Welcome to episode one of Hangry Thoughts. I'm Abby, your host. Uh, This feels kind of wild to be on my own podcast now. I have been wanting to have my own podcast for, God, so long. And now that the time is finally here, this feels a little, little wild, a little surreal. Um, I feel like I sound like every dude in a bar that's like, oh my God, dude, we should start a podcast. We should start a business. But (laughs) that is not what this podcast is going to be about at all. All right. Um, I am here to just bring you the facts on things, bring you my professional dietetic opinion on so many of these, I don't know, things that health gurus are tossing out at us on social media, the things that almond moms are telling us to do, and just sift through all of that diet culture BS because, God, it is really hard to have just a neutral, enjoyable, accepting relationship with food and your body when there is all of this hullabaloo. You know what I'm saying? Um, Now that I am getting into this podcast. I'm nervous, man. Uh, I, I'm excited, but I'm nervous. And God, I I know that that really just comes from being my own harshest critic. And yes, that is me just jumping right in and just being super real with you. But that's also what this podcast is about. When we are getting into looking at a relationship with food, body and movement, we have to have that vulnerability. We have to do that inner self work. And what would this podcast be if I wasn't sharing that as well? You know, I really want to do another full up on being my own harshest critic because that is certainly something that we all struggle with from time to time. And I think it's just important to share that realness and that vulnerability because it's really easy to feel alone in this type of journey or just with mental health struggles in general. I I also use in my intro talking about having ADHD and anxiety because I didn't realize that I had anxiety until college and then I didn't realize I had ADHD until five months ago. <laughs> so I, I say that because there's so much that we don't talk about and there's so much that is just kind of suppressed or swept under the rug and we pretend like everything is fine when maybe it's not. And this space, this podcast, I want to be that space where we can just be real about how we're feeling and just just chat, just like we're two BFFs chatting, you know? Um, 
it's really important to share in this first episode that we're all struggling with self-acceptance, confidence, and believing in ourselves at some point in our lives. Okay, this podcast is not here to tell you right from wrong or good versus bad. And I want to share my experiences as well as others lived experiences. Of course, those are people that are coming on to the podcast that are guests or um, other people that I may be resharing their information that they've posted with their permission and and they're willing to share these things. Uh, We'll be going over the facts on nutrition, uncovering how forked up diet culture truly is. And then I'm also just going to share candid stories from my life, past and current relationship with food, body, and movement, because woof, there is a lot within that. I didn't just become an intuitive eater overnight. I have struggled with my own disordered eating and eating disorders and being so wrapped up in diet culture for so long. And now that I'm on this other side of this, now that I'm a dietitian. I have this really strong passion for intuitive eating and being an intuitive eater myself. I just, I feel like I just want to scream it from the mountaintops, you know? (laughs) So that, oh my gosh, that was really loud. Sorry about that. So sorry for your ears. So that, that's a bit of, of what we'll be doing from here on out. Now, my goal is to provide you with as much information as possible so that you can make, you can make an informed decision on what's best for you and you only. Of course, there's going to be jokes and sarcasm and laughs because these topics can get pretty serious pretty quickly. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and breathe. And what better way to do that than with some jokes, okay? For this first episode, I wanted to start out with kind of a bang. Um, I've been feeling very angry about a much debated topic in the wellness space, and that would be fatness, obesity. And ugh, I, I cringe when I say that O word. Um, I, if you've worked with me or if you follow me on my social media pages, you know that that word gives me the absolute ick. As a provider, I don't use those terms that are associated with the BMI scale being underweight, normal weight, overweight, or obese for a multitude of reasons. Now, I'm sure that you are familiar with the BMI scale, right? It is that ugly ass number that your doctor prints out on your visit summary handout after you have a little checkup, even if you didn't go for weight-related purposes, maybe you went in because you have a cough or you have a rash, I don't know, and they start talking to you all about your weight or your diet or your exercise routine. And you're like, okay, sick doc, like I'm not here for that. I'm here for my cough, my rash. Like these two things are not connected. And the reason why BMI and I have beef is because it is just this, it's, it's a measurement of your weight in kilograms over your height in meters squared. That's literally it. Factors such as age, sex, ethnicity, and muscle mass can influence the relationship between BMI and body fat. Also, BMI doesn't distinguish between fat, muscle, or bone mass, and it doesn't provide any indication of the distribution of fat among individuals. Yet, the medical world, like, praises BMI. Like, it's this magical answer to health. Like, if we know someone's BMI, if we know someone's weight, then that means we know 
all about their health and their habits and their eating behaviors and the way they exercise when we literally know nothing. In reality, BMI means nothing. It's just height and weight. Something that I looked up for, God, I think this was for like an Instagram post a, a while back or like a blog post. I was like, where did BMI even come from? Because I didn't learn that in school. You just learn that BMI is the holy grail and then the conversation ends there. So I was like, okay, Google, let's let's check you out. And it was just a random statistic that was created nearly 200 years ago. The creator was, and I might butcher this name because he is a Belgian statistician, statistician um, Adolf Quidditch, question mark? I don't know. Um, but he was an academic that studies included astronomy, mathematics, statistics, and sociology. LOL. Nowhere in that is medicine. Um, <laughs> and coincidentally... This dude was best known for his sociology work that was aimed at identifying the characteristics of the average man, who he conveniently deemed as the social ideal and was conveniently very similar, if not exactly, his body size. So eyebrow, eyebrow at you, Mr. Quiddlet, because where is this coming from? So this idea that the idea or this idea of the ideal body was born like 200 years ago and we're still living with that today. But I mean, are we like really surprised that a cishet white man created this standard? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I think that really fits the bill, you know? But BMI has served as this source of shame and weight stigma for 200 years. God, I think back to like the biggest loser when I think of BMI. And I remember these contestants, God, when was this show on? I think it came out like 2004. And it ran for like years, at least like 10 to 15 seasons, something crazy like that. Like it was on for a long time. And I remember these contestants would have to get up in front of this whole crowd or at least the other contestants and step on this scale and be told if they lost a quote unquote acceptable amount of weight, if they needed to do more, if they weren't doing enough. And God, how, how ridden with shame was that process? I remember, I, God, I can't remember how old I was when the show came out, I feel like it was middle school when I was watching it. And I just remember sitting there and just like eating the show up because I'm like, oh, these people are doing it for their health. Like, that's so great. Little did we know that these contestants were being starved and pushed to max capacity. Like their weight loss tactics were so extremely extreme, extremely extreme, <laughs> that they were starving. They were doing these rigged weigh-ins that came out years later. And I actually, now that I'm talking about this, I want to do a whole episode on Biggest Loser because there's a lot to unpack there. Like it wasn't just Jillian Michaels and some dude. Like there were a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes with this. But 
so many things that we thought that we knew about these contestants just because we saw their body size and their weight on the scale when we knew nothing. Another thing that I think of when I think of BMI and the effects that it's had on us and our mental health is we fit. Do you remember stepping on that we fit board and your character or your me either getting smaller or bigger and then sometimes it going oof when you stepped on it? What a fun, joyful experience that we had. <laughs> like it, it really feels like no wonder our perceptions of our body are so distorted or the relationship that we have with our weight or the idea that we feel like we need to have a certain weight is so prevalent in our lives. There are so many shows, video games, movies, magazine articles, people on social media now that are telling us that we need to look and be a certain way that no wonder we feel like we need to follow that, that ideal, that ideal body. And I've said it before on social media and with my clients and on blogs, and I will say it a trillion more times, but the size of someone's body, it's not a disease. And the size of someone's body does not elicit comments from other people on what they think that means about their body or their health. Meaning, if you see someone in a certain body size, you have no idea the way that they eat, exercise, their mental health, and all these factors that are actually contributing to weight. And actually, let's talk about some of those factors that go into weight. So that number on the scale, it doesn't only reflect fat. It also shows muscles, bones, organs, water, and other fluids. Which is why when we are stepping on the scale daily, multiple times a day even, weekly, the scale changes so much. And then we feel so shit about it because we're like, ugh, I shouldn't have eaten that food. I should work out. I didn't burn enough calories today. I'm too fat. And that never feels good. I think every single time we step on the scale, and I know this is part of my experience, so maybe it's part of yours, Every time I've stepped on the scale, I leave with feeling very emotional, either maybe kind of positive, but usually pretty negative. If I've stepped on the scale and I see a number that I didn't want to see, then I go, Ugh, okay, now I have to change my whole way of eating today, or now I have to work out X way today. On the flip side, if I've stepped on the scale in the past and I've seen a number that I wanted to see, then I go, oh, okay, this is enforcing the things that I've been doing. And maybe that was restriction. Maybe that was working out to a point where I was utterly exhausted. And I didn't enjoy doing that. But then I felt like I needed to continue doing that if I wanted to keep seeing that number on the scale. So either way, I finally said one day, I hate the motherfucking scale. I don't want to step on her no more. I'm done with that. And it was really hard at first because I would step on the scale all the time. God, I remember like in college going to the scale before a workout and after a workout and right when I woke up in the morning, right before I went to bed 
And of course, the number was always different. And I never felt good about the number. But something about it kept me coming back of like, oh, but if I see that number this time, then that means what I'm doing is all worth it. It never was, though. Spoiler alert, it never was. Our weight is influenced by numerous factors, and I'm just going to rattle these bullet points off because these are things that sometimes we don't even recognize that come up with our weight. Genetics, the biggest one here, and the one that we really cannot control. Cultural background, our environment, medical conditions, if we're financially stable, our mental health, which can certainly affect appetite and motivation to shop and cook foods or be active. Some medications can increase appetite or decrease appetite, slow or fast, quicken the metabolism. Eating disorders, diets, shocker, diets influence our weight and can make us gain weight. Drugs, tobacco, alcohol, where we live, go to school, work, the media, social media, woof, availability and access to food, time pressures, which can make it harder to cook certain meals or exercise again, especially if we're having to care for a family, if we have pets that we need to care for, a partner, lifestyle, even like our commute to work and back. Do we drive to work? Do we walk to work? Do we live in a walkable city? Inadequate sleep and so much more. And also, we are so scared as a society of fat, of body fat. And fat is so necessary. Fat gives and helps our body with energy, protecting our organs, supports cell growth, keeps cholesterol and blood pressure under control, and helps our body absorb vital nutrients. Yet we're always told that we shouldn't have body fat or that we shouldn't have too much body fat. And I would argue that the stress of that, the stress of trying to keep up with a certain ideal or a certain body weight is more unhealthy than body fat itself. So there's research that's being conducted to study weight stigma, weight bias, fat phobia, and then weight-based discrimination. And here is what we know. Let me lay down these facts for you. Correlation does not equal causation. That's a mouthful. Correlation does not equal causation. And that can be kind of confusing because it's a lot of correlation causation. It's a lot of similar wording. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, in research, it gets mixed up all the time when people are like um, summarizing the research um, and repeating it back to like their followers on social media. So let's go over like a little fun example. So let's say that you're observing this statistically significant positive correlation between exercise and skin cancer. Okay, this might seem really reliable if you notice the correlation shows up across multiple people, right? Well, you're like, oh my God, I'm so smart. I found this out. Let me share all my information right now. But then you sit with that a little bit more and you review it and you say, oh, this actually exists in my data set. 
because people who live in sunny places are actually more likely to exercise outdoors. And I know that if we're outdoors more, we have more sun exposure, and that is actually causing the skin cancer. And exercising outdoors increases that sun exposure. So now we go, oh, so it's not that exercise is causing skin cancer. It's that exercise and skin cancer are just correlated by the similar factor of the sun and being outdoors, right? Another example that I've used with clients or I believe on a blog post was, oh my God, I'm sitting in my closet right now because this is the only place that I have kind of good sound and my back, I'm sitting like a cooked shrimp. (laughs) I need to like straighten up my Lord. Um, Another example that I've used with clients is talking about ice cream and a sunburn, right? Like if there's a really sunny day, maybe this is causing people to go and eat more ice cream, right? It's cool. It feels refreshing. It's a nice little summer treat. And then we're outdoors more, right? So the sun is also causing sunburns. Those two things can be true. But that doesn't mean that ice cream is causing sunburns or sunburns is causing ice cream. Those two things are just correlated. So there's a lot of studies that are that are supporting that weight cycling, which is typically occurring with chronic or yo-yo dieting, where let's say you're at X amount of weight when you start a diet and you lose X amount of pounds during it. You end your diet as we all eventually do, and your weight goes back to that starting weight, or it goes a little bit over that starting weight. So you do another diet. Your weight comes down, you stop the diet, the weight comes up. That, uh, that change in weight is that weight cycling. Those fluctuations actually cause differences in cardiovascular risk factors like heart rate, sympathetic activity, blood pressure, and circulating levels of glucose, insulin, and lipids. This repetitive and drastic loss and gain of weight has also been implicated in an increased risk of eating disorders, psychological disorders, insulin resistance, and increased cardiac load. And shockingly, shockingly, maintaining stable weight is found to be more healthful for cardiovascular and renal systems, even if that means you're at a higher body fat percentage, a higher body weight. Ain't that some shit, huh? That is so wildly different than what we hear from diet culture. Instead, diet culture just goes, nope, doesn't matter. You have to be losing weight. You have to be losing weight and you always have to be trying to get this ideal body that is unattainable. And it doesn't matter how this affects your health because we're just going to tell you that being in a smaller body is healthier no matter what. But it isn't. It isn't, especially when we're looking at things like weight cycling, right? We know that weight and body size is correlated to risk of disease. It does not cause disease. We know weight cycling and yo-yo dieting increases disease risk. So both are number one indicators of weight gain. Weight cycling and yo-yo dieting are the cause of higher risk of disease. But our culture, our bitching culture, it blames body size. 
Ugh. Think again to Biggest Loser. How many times did Jillian Michaels blame those people for their body size and saying that that was the reason that they're at this higher risk for disease? How many times did Jillian Michaels say, you just didn't want it hard enough. You need to be working out until you are throwing up. Ugh, I don't want to be doing that. Hell no, Jillian. We know that weight stigma and weight-based discrimination, especially that those people face on The Biggest Loser, cause higher risk of disease. Think about the stress from that. Oh my God, I was stressed watching that show and I was just sitting on my couch. Who is affected then by this weight stigma and weight-based discrimination? People in larger bodies. So if body size causes disease... This would mean that every person in a smaller body would be free of disease and that people in larger bodies would have all of the diseases. We know that that isn't true. We know that's not reality. Because again, so sorry, I'm a broken record. Correlation does not mean causation. Body size does not cause disease. The size of someone's body is not a disease. And again, there are so many factors that come up when we're looking at weight, body size, body shape, and so many of those things are out of our control. Another thing that I think is so important for us to talk about since we're on this topic of health and weight is these determinants of health, right? Like what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say, what makes a healthy person? Is there... Um, a certain person that comes to your mind? Is there a certain way of eating, a certain way of working out? I'm going to venture to guess that diet and exercise were the two first things that popped up into your head. Because that is, that is what we're told over and over. If I go back to like health class in high school, God, I could count. So I was going to say count on one hand, but then that would mean that it wasn't a lot of times, but it was a lot of times. <laughs> I, I could I, I couldn't count. I couldn't count how many times a health teacher told us that diet and exercise were the number one determinants for health. And that just isn't true. It doesn't mean that they're not important, but they don't hold the same weight that we give it. Instead, think of it as like this big old pie chart. It's just this little slice of pie. This little slice of pie is these individual behaviors that you're doing, which includes diet and exercise, but that also includes your mental health, right? Like how, how are you doing with depression, um, stress, even like sleep? That is another big one. And again, we looked at that and how all these factors determine weight and these other social determinants of health that are within this big old pie chart also include things like food security, um, our environment that we live in, whether it's safe, whether it's walkable. Um, if we, I was going to say stress again, we already said that. Our housing situation, our access to health care. And that's another thing when we're having weight-based discrimination. If someone is in a larger body, and they go to the doctor and they're put on the scale and they're told, yep, you need to lose weight. 
and they're not there for that. They're there for a cold or a rash or whatever. They're just facing this stigma and this discrimination. It's not fun to go to the doctor if you're going to face that. So then we might not be going to the doctor, right? Even if we maybe really need to for an illness or something. But we're going to stay away from that because I don't want to be shamed, right? So I, I wanted to share those determinants of health, even if just a quick little snippet, because I want to start broadening our awareness. I don't know. What is that word? I want to start broadening our, our, our mind, I guess, when it comes to thinking about health. Start thinking about what are these other things that are actually important to me when it comes to health. Maybe diet and exercise are part of it, but maybe it's really not as important as I feel like it is for me. Maybe for me, it's my mental health is the most important part because I have experienced times where my mental health was pretty shitty and that felt really shitty and I don't want to feel like that, right? So I really want to make sure that when I'm experiencing depression, anxiety, or not sure, not sure how to cope with ADHD, that I'm building more tools around that and a support system around that. Maybe it's, God, I just never get good sleep. And so I really want to support my sleep hygiene and make sure that I put my phone away from my bed and stay off my phone before I go, or I get an alarm clock, or I start reading to help fall asleep. Like, what are these other factors? So those are many of my hangry thoughts today. Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm against, I'm so excited to be starting this podcast and be talking more about so many of these things that I just want to like spew all this information and thoughts out on, but I just didn't have a platform to do that because people don't have that kind of attention span on, on TikTok. <laughs> and like I said, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm excited, but I, I'm just so happy to be here. And to who's ever listening, thank you so much for tuning into this first episode. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing some more hangry thoughts with y'all and I'll see you in the next up. Bye. Thank you.